Hey, welcome back to a new episode. Mike Brancatelli here. This is Mike Adelic. Today I'm talking with Dr. Joe Tafour. Dr. Joe Tafour is a uh, medical doctor, founding partner of Niwe Rao Centro Espiritual, uh, the author of The Fellowship of the River, a medical doctor's exploration into traditional Amazonian plant medicine. And that's what we talk about on this show. That's what we talk about with Dr. Joe Tafour. Uh, he's an integrative, uh, integrative-minded family physician, founding partner of Niwe Rao, uh, and he's a Colombian-American from Arizona. He's worked with uh, MAPS. He studied biology at UCLA. He's, uh, he's, he's really doing a lot of things, most currently working on the uh, Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project, the Modern Spirit uh, Project, which he brings up in this episode. You can go to his website and check it out, uh, where he's uh, really trying to investigate the uh, connection between the modern healthcare system, modern health and wellness, the medical model that we currently find ourselves immersed in in, in the West, and merging that uh, together with the with the indigenous, with the uh, shamanic, with uh, with the more spiritual nature of our world, as we talk about in this show. You know, so often that gets. That, that doesn't get the attention of a lot of uh, the the modern uh, medicine practitioners. But Dr. Joe Tafour is a integrative medicine activist. And throughout his medical career, uh, he has been on, on quite the journey. And that's, uh, that's what we get into um, in, in this conversation, finding out about what led him to going to the jungle, going to uh, learn uh, about ayahuasca and shamanic techniques, shamanic healing techniques, spiritual healing, and the spiritual practices uh, that he is now um, integrating into uh, this, uh, like I said, the the, the sort of modern westernized medical um, way. So in order to spread the message, uh, Dr. Tafour and his brother Mario uh, and their associates started the nonprofit organization Modern Spirit, Modern Spirit dedicated to demonstrating the value of spiritual healing in modern healthcare and um, Modern Spirit, the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project is one of the largest mechanistic assessments of psychedelic medicine to date. And uh, like I said, you can find out more about that. Dr. Tafour is doing so much. Uh, he's lectured uh, He's lectured on his work in, uh, and spoke at a number of conferences, as I mentioned, MAPS, uh, Psychedelic Science Conference, uh, and many others, ICERS, the World Ayahuasca Conference. And I think uh, I remember donating uh, to ICERS a while back and getting a really cool t-shirt, the Ayahuasca Defense Fund. Not sure if Dr. Tafour had something to do with that, but I think he did. I remember seeing him with the shirt. <laughs> so, but he's uh, the guy's involved in so much. Um, I mean, it's really amazing the work that he's doing. Uh, and he works, uh, he still works part time as a family physician in the United States. And he's continuing to do this, this bridge work uh, through educational programs, through Modern Spirit and uh, his podcast, the Modern Spirit Podcast. So check that out. And um, yeah, I think this was a great conversation. It was really exciting to learn about his personal story, you know, being, being, uh, in the, 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 the modern system and then going to explore, uh, these ancient techniques and, and now, you know, bridging the two together and, uh, and bringing something back, you know, bringing something back to our world, which is, uh, most in desperate need of new ways of doing things, maybe old ways of doing things merged with 
with the science and the understanding for the Western mind to sort of, you know, create a whole new paradigm of healing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, his work with modern spirits, amazing. Um, you know, they, they are uh, really working hard. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's really a lot, you know, epigenetics gets talked about, I think is, uh, fairly new i guess i don't know like maybe within the last 10 20 years something like that i i'm not sure but david krantz was on this show talking about epigenetics i mean sort of newer to me i've been hearing about epigenetics but we talk a little bit about what the epi what epigenetics how they influence us and how we can you know heal them through uh spiritual healing and um yeah, a little bit about uh, epigenetics, as far as I understand it, is the study of how like uh, the bio- biological changes can be caused by the way that the, the genes are being expressed uh, within ourselves. So it's like a reprogramming or a recoding uh, of the of the genetic code or the the genome. Um, all right. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about all this stuff because Dr. Tafur is going to talk about it. So, yeah, uh, really, um, really liking the 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 space that I'm creating here uh, with the podcast. I'm really, as you know, um, I've been kind of dumping a bunch of episodes all at once because I'm taking a little break to rework a lot of things and kind of go into a little bit more of uh, um, a place of more space, more solitude, more peace. I'm taking a digital detox to just uh, reorganize and reemerge with something that uh, I'm, I'm really more proud of to make better. Uh, but uh, for those of you who are sending me messages that like the show, thank you. I appreciate you very much. If you uh, want to support the show, you know what to do when you like something, just tell people about it, share it, spread it, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, go to Patreon, donate a little bit if you can, check out my website, mikebrank.com, get involved, share, talk about these things, talk about psychedelics, how they've helped your life, how they've helped you and improved your life, made you a better person, how they've opened, you know, opened you up, share them, you know, stand in your integrity, speak out, be proud, and uh, don't worry. Let the chips fall where they may. You know, we we are we are entering into a new world thanks to the work like Dr. Tafur and other people that are leading the way and making it more acceptable in the mainstream, the mainstream consciousness to say, you know, I I'm a psychedelic person. You know, I I engage in spiritual healing and spiritual practices. You know, I use plant medicine. Um, and, uh, and, and the more people we have talking about that and sharing and opening up and, and investigating these, um, ancient technologies, shamanic, uh, practices, you know, merging together with what we have created now, I think the better, the better world we're going to start to, to create. So yeah, big, big props to Dr. Tough for, for, for doing all of the work that he's doing. Uh, and, uh, all the, sh- all the links are in the show notes, go check it out. Um, yeah. Without further ado, let's get in the conversation with Dr. Joe Tafur. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty 
the fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Of Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. So you're in Phoenix? I'm in Phoenix, yeah. Yeah. You grew up there, right? I did. <clears throat> yeah. I grew up here in Phoenix, yeah. So I'm back here. I moved away for a while, but I came back, yeah, and I'm here and I was in Peru a lot and I travel a lot, but I'm based here. Yeah, the Valley of the Sun. I spent uh, a semester there going to ASU. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's pretty warm, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. ASU's no. Now, yeah, now I'm in Denver where it's five degrees today. Yeah, I was in Denver recently. It's, Denver's a cool city. I like it. I like it a lot too. Yeah, I moved here from, well, I, I, I was in New York City for about eight years where I lived in lower Manhattan. And then I spent about half of 2018 in Peru in, in uh, at the Temple of the Way of Light. Oh, okay. Wow. You were working there? Mm-hmm. I forgot all yeah. the details. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Very good. Yeah. So... Maybe you could share your your personal journey uh, because obviously right. one doesn't go from being on the kind of mainstream medical path to then, you know, living in the jungle in the Amazon with the Shipibo tribe learning about ayahuasca. So what 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 was the catalyst to drive you to make that uh, transition or, or to yeah. make that trip? Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of what the book is about is just my journey from that journey that you're describing. And so the way it kind of starts, uh, and that's what's called Fellowship of the River Medical Doctors Exploration. It's a traditional Amazonian plant medicine. The way it starts eventually or gets to the beginning of the story is <clears throat> in medical school. I was getting depressed in medical school and just being depressed by the the culture and the setting and the context and whatever other factors, you know, of my own life um, that kind of pushed me into depression and I was struggling. You know, I never really had kind of suffered like that before, like struggling with my own mind so much. Have you experienced depression before? Not really, you know, nothing significant, like never clinically, you know, never needing like a real help. Maybe like a little bit of lulls and, you know, maybe some, but nothing like that, you know. Yeah, so, so it was, was like a, a real kind of crisis point for you. Yeah, it was. And so I uh, I tried antidepressants. My dad is a psychiatrist. I tried that a little bit and that helped me. I found that helpful actually at the time. It kind of took the edge off of, of my mental activity, helped to quiet my mind down a bit and helped me kind of appreciate things a little bit more. But ultimately, I didn't really want to be on antidepressants, and I was exposed uh, to a friend of mine was beginning to do research in psychedelics. So this is like in nineteen. This is like two thousand, two thousand one. Okay. I was in medical school. I was nineteen ninety nine. I went to medical school. It was like two thousand one. The second year, third year is when I was like struggling more. 
And he was somebody that was doing research, wanted to do his PhD and and with psilocybin, psychedelic stuff and meditation research and ended up doing that over in uh in Switzerland. That's Dr. Ryle Kahn, who's now the head of our of our epigenetics research project. And you know, I being exposed to him, I was like learning about the beginning of the kind of resurgence in the psychedelic clinical research. You know, at the time, I wasn't really like a psychonautic person. I had tried a little bit of stuff, you know, but I wasn't so into that. I was, you know, some I'd done some marijuana. I had tried mushrooms, you know, a handful of times. I tried like um, ecstasy a couple times. You know, not not a lot of experience. <clears throat> wasn't really into all that stuff. And you know, at oh. none of those times you had any kind of, did you have any mystical experiences from any of those? Um, yeah. I mean, I had definitely had cool experiences on, I think up to that point, like with marijuana, I think, yeah, for sure you have some, something, you know, mystical-ish is like definitely uh, had many experiences like that, you know, like a lot of people. And with the mushrooms, definitely had some kind of... Uh, curious experiences you know my family is very spiritual so i wasn't like somebody that came to spirituality through psychedelics okay you know so that's like and that's something i'm kind of like you know like stoned ape theory and stuff like that i just i think that's really like i don't know not addressing like major portions of the planet earth's population you know, where many, many people have a lot of very advanced, like, mystical practices and mystical experiences outside of psychedelics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's just commonly reported throughout history all over the world. And and so I think, but for some people and from some cultures that they don't have any experience with that, yeah, a lot of people, that's their first time feeling that kind of thing. You know, and the problem is then they then they think that's the thing. You know, they think that's the mystical experience. And, uh, you know, then you see this kind of Ram dosification that happens to some people that they, you know, the guy's like big LSD guy. And then he realizes he's, he's getting further with meditation, you yeah. know? So you already kind of, your worldview is already a little bit open to That's the right. spiritual mystical realm. So when you, when you were already... <clears throat> came from a family like that. Then you had some experiences with entheogens and uh, mushrooms and cannabis. And and then then your friend kind of was the one that was bringing yeah, you on to like, more hey, of the research about, aspect. Yeah. The research and the kind of, in other words, I had maybe a little bit of stigmatization towards it. You know, mm. I was coming from like, I don't know about all that stuff. And, you know, I don't know if I really need that or would want that. And so... But then he was, I was learning about all this like crossover and there's all this crossover between psychedelics and the antidepressants, you know, on the biochemical level. And you see that today that like all the major heavy hitters of of psychedelic therapies in the research world are all things that we use antidepressants for, you know, and the serotonin circuitry and its role with Prozac and all these other things. And, you know, this is a related circuitry that we're dealing with. So... It was interesting to me, and and so then that kind of got me over it. And then I did have, and I was intrigued by like natural plant um, spirit, you know, medicines. And I grew up in Arizona, and there's peyote here. And I had heard about peyote growing up, and I, you know, once in a while run into somebody or something. And then I had read Carlos Castaneda books, and so I was very, you know, I was curious about that. 
So then with him, uh, we decided to, or with a friend, I, we decided to, uh, to go to the Peyote Way Church of God in Arizona, which is a place that is, is, makes it available to people, uh, all races. And they have a very kind of sacred way of doing things. And so I went out there and I had a major experience. Like I would say that was definitely more, um, you know, I, I would say not just mystical because I would, you know, I, like you said, I had some mystical experiences of mushrooms and, you know, other things in my life. But this was like therapeutically mystical. Mm. You know, this was like medicine, spiritual healing. I just had a dramatically uh, a major shift in my experience and a complete quieting of my mind and a real opening and like kind of reopening of the connection to to my heart and then you know into to spirit beyond that and, and this was the point where you were kind of depressed as well and, yeah and this that was the, the, the worst part that of that opened, yeah and then that this just this just like turned that around just like refreshed my perspective uh with an amazing you know inspiration and beauty and fun and love and so many things that I just, you know, I told them, I said, wow, you know, I felt like the peyote experience, the ceremony reconnected me to everything that I want to be connected to, that I was getting disconnected from, you know, mm. my, uh, my medical education experience. So that's, so then I was really like, I was like, whoa, this, and you know, that's like a ceremonial context. So again, you know, I'm a big kind of, yeah, I mean, people can have all kinds of cool, wild experiences exploring on their own, you know, with um, different psychedelics and, you know, then they can also run into a lot of problems too, you know, and it's worth saying that. Um, yeah. But you said, you said something, right? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I want to hear what you're saying. Oh, I was going to say you, you brought up something that really kind of stuck out to me where you were talking about the, the, you felt connected and love. And, you know, I, I, I heard you talk about that quite a few times, actually, uh, watching some videos that you were giving talks about. And I just think that is just such an important point because we do, I think one of the major issues that we're seeing in our world on an individual and societal level is that we're so disconnected is so disconnected and love doesn't fit into the equation yeah. you know and that's that seems preposterous well and that's why like one of my big uh kind of uh discussion points or what i'm trying to spread around is just like that because like how do you awaken people to obviously it feels wonderful to feel more connected to feel a sense of place and purpose you know and meaning in your life but that's not a selling point and you know people blow that off you know they just they just they're not really you know they'll they'll that doesn't really seem to to get people's attention that much although but it does when they're sick you know when they don't feel well and so that's the reality that it's like that in health and spirituality are are the same thing that's the Native American um, perspective, and that's the perspective of most traditional culture, that you can't really separate it. And so, in other words, if you don't deal with the heart and soul of someone, like, you know, you you may not be able to really help them in a way, and their, their, their health might reflect that. And that could be mental health problems or even physical health problems, you know, at the very least emotional health problems. 
So it's like, what is this connection? And, you know, what's the value of that? And this kind of metaphysical discussion. And so my thing is like, it's about health, you know, it's about feeling healthier and feeling, you know, less burdened by, by life, by your mind, by your body, etc. And in that sense, like living a, a higher quality of life. And so that being said, we see that a lot of people, you know, that there's a lot of things that burden us, you know, and there's systems of thinking that kind of compound that and get people stuck in their heads and um, isolated from one another, alienated from one another. And so then they don't feel this, this connection that you're talking about. And this connection, you know, it seems to be, it's something that's actually experienced like through our emotional being, you know, with the heart being central to that experience. Mm. And if you don't uh, try to address like the way your emotional being and your heart uh, might be blocked up or, um, you know, whatever, uh, blocked up from, yeah. who knows, from all the kinds of things, you know, the emotional traumas, relationship problems, family stuff that kind of get in the way. And then you end up... <clears throat> closing your mind off to how you feel, you know, because it's like there's no resolution for these problems of feeling. And so then you start like closing your mind off to those feelings. And now you're stuck living in your head. And there's not really like a lot of real satisfying answers in there. As it turns right. out. Yeah. And, and round and round dilemmas. Yeah. And uh, this, so it's, and that's, so that's disconnected. Yeah, other, so it's it's reconnecting like on a more practical sense for people to understand and relate it to like the current paradigm. It's like connecting to the outside world, opening yourself up to your senses. So there's all these ways that like we have these blinders because of like this bandwidth that's getting eaten up by whatever our preoccupation is. That doesn't allow us, like I said in medical school, to appreciate a nice day. Like we don't care what's going on out there. It's not really it's not really influencing the internal world. So that's a sensory perception problem, external sensory, you know, that you actually don't even notice and you're cut off and you misunderstand and you misinterpret. You know, like the extreme example would be like a PTSD where you're hearing a helicopter fly by and you think you're in a war, you know. So that's like a very uh, wires crossed perception problem. Then you have the other... <coughs> facet of that which is the interoception in other words how feeling the, all the parts of your physiology that allow you to feel what it feels like to be in your body you know what does it feel like in your stomach what does it feel like in your heart what does it feel like in your back and your legs you know that's interoception and interoception so the actual that sensory system that's informing us about how we physically feel and how that can also get shut down and you know like the switches can be turned off to that kind of awareness a lot of times let's say uh, in one example in like heavy trauma that you could have some kind of scarring and mentally that would actually literally like block people off from feeling certain aspects of their being so the connectedness like in a very practical sense is connecting you to the outside world and to your internal world like for at the physiologic level you know that the flow the sensory integration of what you are experiencing outside and what you're experiencing inside the integration of that 
how that happens in your brain and all that is kind of what we're talking about is trying to open the gates around that so that you can have a more clear perception of the outside world and a more clear perception of what's going on inside. But opening up what's going on inside means may mean, you know, opening up some wounds and feeling those things and dealing with those things. So that's a difficult process. So that's where you like some role of therapeutic, you know, context where you have people practices or customs or wisdom that's going to help people do that. And that's what we see, you know, with this kind of growing psychedelic psychotherapy, like I'm talking about with the peyote ceremonial experience. It's like when you have people who know what they're doing with that, more than just because you, you know, you're a hot shot and you got really high one time and you think you got it all figured out. But like if you're actually like trying to seek the experience of people who dedicate themselves to learning about that kind of thing, it's pretty impressive, you know, what can be done to help people open up their awareness that way and kind of heal their wounds. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you have to kind of be willing to go to that space. And I heard you talk about, um, you know, how it's challenging in the sort of like materialist science and medical uh, framework, mainstream framework to bring this up. I mean, I, I know it's becoming more and more, it's, you know, becoming more and more acceptable, but you mentioned that, that you have to, in order to do that, the scientists, the medical practitioners themselves have to be willing to go into their own feeling, That's their it. own body, their own traumas and that is very difficult right to do well that's the issue and so that's kind of why this this interest and for example like native american traditions or other like outside cultural traditions is is growing because the materialist you know capitalist um corporate academic uh, society paradigm doesn't really make enough create enough, support enough safe spaces for people to be vulnerable. And so that is one of the major roles of like um, spiritual practice and trying to, and so they're trying to find ways to integrate that in without then you got to hear, you got to get into all this religious trauma and all that, you know, dogmatic discussion. And um, when really it's like maybe the most, and that's why the health discussion comes back up again. It's like, well, we're not really saying that you need to do this because it's going to make you, you know, whatever, more holy than this person or that person or whatever it is you might think. We're saying you need to do this because people need that safe space. They need that sacred space to be vulnerable, to be able to process out this stuff that will burden their health mentally and physically, will burden their family will burden their community and ultimately will burden their ecosystem, which is the situation in which we are in. So how do we alleviate that burden that just is and allow people, you know, to a chance to an opportunity to increase their awareness? Yeah, they have to be like allowed spaces where they don't have to worry about being embarrassed, you know, for the truth of their life. Mm. Yeah. So important, you know, because that's, that's where all the core stuff is that that we see, you know, manifesting if we're not dealing with it at that, at the, at the root level, mm-hmm. you know, then it's just this kind of ripple effect that 
takes hold. And uh, something else that you talked about that I thought was really interesting was, well, you know, we accept all these kind of metaphysical uh, things in the scientific uh, paradigm and framework and, uh, you know, such as dreams, thoughts, yeah. imagination. Yeah. So why is it so far-fetched or why is it uh, not being integrated like the psychedelic framework and the spiritual aspect uh, easily accepted? Yeah, well, that's kind of what I think is at the heart of what you were just saying is that like the, the reluctance around those topics to me is more about the fear of the lack of safe places to be vulnerable. They're going to start talking about how, you know, the kind of strange and extraordinary experiences that they may have had in their own lives or the strange and extraordinary uh, experiences they've had uh, um around the way certain their relationships with their children or with their spouse or with, you know, these people that intimate experiences that don't really make any sense or logical or, you know, they don't fit into the model, but then they experience them, you know. And so then the idea is, oh, we're just not going to talk about that. And this, you know, this is not the time or the place to talk about that. Mm, yeah. No religion or politics. Okay. No religion or politics. Can't, can't or, talk about that. Yeah, exactly. So then, so then there's a denial, you know, and um, so that's what we're trying to like demonstrate. That's like the movement is trying to say, actually, this is important to address this because from a conservative perspective, there's major healthcare care uh, concerns involved. There's major economic concerns, you know, and then on top of the environmental concerns. So these are very conservative, like thoughts it's like actually what well, the concern is the children the concern is the next generation um so this is actually like the honest um family oriented you know not the not the hypocrisy uh so that's the idea is like we get it the hypocrisy is you know we know what it's good for it's good for like you know ripping people off and getting one over on people um, and you know, that's pretty much what it's good for, I guess. Those are, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. Perpetuating the, the dominant, you know, status quo of, yeah, yeah compartmentalized money, you know, different sectors, like, you know, take a pill if you feel this way or, you know, yeah, yeah. Everything. But they're just so. doing it like, you know, to whoever's like running that, let's say the people that are like running that thing it's like i guess they they're trying to fill whatever they need this money this um endless you know addiction mm. greed you know that's become a mental health issue you know that it's it's like what i call greed rot it's the same way like alcohol we have this criteria for when alcohol becomes a problem in somebody's life you know when they start having trouble with the law and they start having trouble with their relationships. They start denying it. They want to quit, but they can't quit, you know, like gambling addiction and things like that. So we see the same kind of behavior pattern around some like, you know, really um, destructive greed where people start really damaging themselves and their own families and then, you know, their societies, etc. cetera. Uh, and that what we're learning is that that's all related to like unhealed trauma. And yeah. so, again, it's like getting people, creating spaces where people feel safe enough to address this stuff. You know, like, what is that? What's eating at you? Like, why mm -hmm. are you, you know, 
so insatiable. Mm. You know, like what's going on? Like that you're going to throw your own kids under the bus. Like, huh, what's going on? So I don't know. I think it's just, it's just, to me, it's just all about the healthcare uh, argument and perspective to try to help people see how it fits into their paradigm, what you're talking about. Right. You know, and I think the healthcare focus is the way to demonstrate. And that's one, you know, my, so my main messages all the time is just, you know, spiritual practice is spiritual healing. You know, spiritual healing is spiritual practice. Like that's the whole purpose of spiritual practice is for your spiritual well-being. And that's reflected in your emotional well-being. And that has a physiologic like uh, parameters that, you know, can be identified. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when people are talking about the flow state and all that kind of stuff and getting people into these really, you know, meditative states and just the calm and the way their blood pressure and all these things are responding and the way inflammation calms in their system, you know, inappropriate inflammation. So there's all that. That's what the book kind of gets into a lot is starting to get into this, the physiology of um, the emotional body. And then back to what we started with was like, okay, this connectedness. So then we can kind of observe like you were at the healing center down in Peru. And I had a Mm -hmm. lot of experience in that where a lot of people start, they come down and then they don't really, they haven't really had a mystical experience, you know, in their life. They're not really, they're pretty nihilistic, pretty like flat landed, you know, I don't know about God or anything or creation or, you know, anything beyond what you can touch or feel or see, you know, they're not really impressed by. And then as they start going through like this deep emotional healing process, and some of them maybe they're blocked, their ayahuasca visions don't open up either, you know, in that state. And then they start going through this healing process and start opening up and dealing, addressing these like deep emotional wounds. And it's kind of like their emotional body starts coming back online. And their intuition starts coming back online as that stuff starts getting worked out and their access to the mystical starts increasing. Mm-hmm. So by the time they're done, they're like, whoa, oh my God, their whole sense of faith and belief shifts quite a bit because it's actually like a tangible subjective experience is what we're talking about. We're not talking about trying to convince somebody of something. Right. You know, yeah, the, the the direct experience, yeah. The direct experience. So the direct experience speaks for itself, and, and then you just you got to talk to that person. Maybe you know that person, or maybe it's a close friend of yours. You decide if you trust what they have to say or not. You know, they're telling you, this is what happened to me. You know, we don't, how are you going to measure it and all that? You know, there's different ways to examine such things, but the point is the direct experience. But there's a direct experience of deep emotional healing allowing for greater mystical access that's a common theme i observed and to me that goes along so that's what we were talking about at the beginning yeah the sense of connectedness so this idea that actually your metaphysical apparatus you know whatever that is at least the apparatus that allows you to tune in to you know any number of things that are just common sense you know, this Rupert Sheldrake has his book, you know, the sense of being, Oh stared yeah. At, you know, yeah, sense yeah. of being stared at that. Yeah. You could be on the freeway at 80 miles an hour. You know, if somebody's looking at you, right. You know, that's just like, 
you know, you'd kind of have to be a fool to, 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 to not, you know, invite that into your being. It's very useful, you know, that kind of skill, that kind of a uh, human capacity. And there's just mm-hmm. a whole number of things that, yeah, you'd want. And you see it, like, as I say, in sports or whatever, you know, they definitely want these guys to have an unconscious, you know, sense of 3D space and, and you know, even some kind of a glimpse into the future if possible. Um, and so that's what we're talking about is just that side of life, that side of things, uh, you know, what we invite into art, what we invite into music. We invite into rock concerts and festivals and all the magic that people experience. And, and and then some people do invite that into their their spiritual lives. You know, they have very mystical, profound experiences. But now connecting that into our health, you know, that yeah. that's actually related to that. That mm-hmm. your creativity, your imagination, your intuition are indicators of emotional well-being. Right. Yeah. I read, uh, Sheldrake's book, um, uh, science set free, or I like the, the better title, the science delusion, uh, which was the UK title, but he, or he addresses, um, you know, the, the sort of like 10 core dogmas of science, right. And like yeah. in, in framing it as this sort of belief system where, you know, uh-huh. they, science tends to say like, Oh, we have it all figured out. We just need like 1% more, you know, to, to put the right. pieces together. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but like really. But meanwhile, like this, there's like 95 percent of everything's dark matter, and we don't know what it is. <laughs> we don't know anything, right? That's we don't like know anything. Major conclusion is like we just figured out that most everything is made out of something that we don't know what it is, and that's the bulk of what's going on. Right. Yeah. And 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 so it's you know this real, um, you know this holistic approach is is that to me, this is, this is the way, like, this is the approach. And like when, you know, when, yeah, when I was down in Peru and I'm sure you've seen this when you were, when you were down there too, just the amount of people that are coming in, you know, it's not this thing where you can just go to, you go to a doctor and you say like, Oh, I have uh, I have, I have this uh, ache on my shoulder and they're like, Oh, okay, well, here, <clears> take this. You learn like uh, y- your whole life story unfolds your whole um, you know, history of traumas and everything. And then like you were saying, it's making room for the the clarity of that mystical, the mystical kind of connection to come back. So yeah, I kind of want to talk a little bit about like, you know, the experiences that people have when they go down there and what from what you've observed. And, you know, they have, you know, the Shipibo have their kind of worldview, their mythology, cosmology, and their kind of way of working with the energies and, and those things. But now it's about bridging that gap and kind of bringing that back to speak in the language of you know, the Western world, you know, in term, and I know you talk a lot about epigenetics. Yeah, sure. Well, I would just say, because, you know, I'm in the temple and it's like the, you know, like at at Niwe Rao, like my interaction and the healing process and the ceremony with the Shipibos, with Ricardo and the Shipibos is very intimate. So I think when you bring that intimacy to the healing discussion, there ends up being a lot more crossover. So I don't, I do have to speak out against the separation of the Shipibo cosmology, you know, from, from, uh, from the healing process that we might relate to, you know, oh, okay. you sit down and you go through healing work alongside Shipibos, uh, that I have, you know, the, there is, there is energetic and, and stuff that's maybe more common in their culture, but in our relationship and the, 
the dialogue that happened, you know, anyway, row, then we end up getting into a lot more discussions about trauma and the influence of trauma and its relationship to, you know, what, what might look as like a metaphysical energy, you know, in ceremony or in ayahuasca visions. So that's what my book gets into a lot is just that exact exchange of, you know, my discussions with the Ricardo and, you know, what's, what's going on. And then, um, our experience and working on people and, you know, going through cases together and dealing with this person and dealing with that person and informing like, you know, him and the Shipibo perspective informing like things that we would need to look at and, and see, and then the patient informing the process. And then me and my perspective as a medical doctor, just as a person, you know? And so that's what the book is about <clears throat> is those three perspectives kind of going back and forth around cases that are like Western diagnoses. Mm. And so I think that in my case, like the Shipibo perspective was a major influence and a major, um, very informative to my understanding of what's going on. So I just, you know, I just have to say that, that it, I don't I really, there is a little bit of an attitude I run into sometimes down there in Peru where people compartmentalize out that knowledge, but, I don't know that's, I think some of those people haven't really explored that knowledge, you know, they haven't really studied it and gone into the depths of it. And, um, that knowledge is actually what's driving the whole machine, you know, mm -hmm. that's what's mm -hmm. making the whole thing work. And so it's actually very, very special. And so my experience, like going through traditional training and, um, working alongside Ricardo and ceremony led me to a lot of experiences and those experiences in ayahuasca visions and otherwise kind of were uh directed me to look at epigenetics that epigenetics was an area that in the physiology as described by you know biochemistry and of course uh, we all have biochemical processes happening within us you know shipibos and americans and all the rest of us and so that this idea of a lot of the focus of working on people's trauma and the energies surrounding their trauma in ceremony with Ikaros, with song, uh, you know, kind of like led me to want to learn more about, well, where do these stories live inside of us? You know, mm. where do the stories live in our flesh? What, what do we know about that? And there's just a growing body of evidence that traumatic experiences childhood traumatic experiences and some other ones that the the body has a system you know to for stress response and stress adaptation that the cells you know that one of the ways they keep track of things is through epigenetics it's a form of cellular memory and there's some versatility within that system to to be able to address and respond to let's say stress and so that system as I started looking at the cases in the book, like I talked about, you know, the book goes into a, a migraine headache case and a you know, chronic pain case and an anxiety case and a depression case and a addiction case and a PTSD, you know, et cetera, yeah. psoriasis, was, inflammatory was there any, disease. Yeah. Was there, was there any story from the, the book that really, um, that you felt was like really, I don't know, just kind of blew your mind. Like you were like, wow, I, I can't believe this, yeah, this happened. All or, of them, you know? Yeah. Like that was the point. I mean, there was like many, many, many more stories, right? And like hundreds of people now, like thousands of people come through. So those are the ones that I chose 
because I had more contact with those people. They had certain diagnoses that I knew as a family medicine doctor were the kind of problems that we struggle with and that um, had major improvement, you know, or, or showed signs of major improvement. And I followed them up for years to see, like, what was the shift that happened within them. And what I saw was that they, in each case, like, of these very so-called different diseases from a Western medical perspective, uh, there was major shifts, and those shifts were very related to major emotional healing processes that these people went through over major trauma or or some degree of trauma, and that subsequent research and like my for the book, I realized that there's all this epigenetics, you know, that's linked to each one of those illnesses. There's this growing body of evidence that in like a Crohn's disease case where this guy had a really major turnaround in just a few weeks of diet and treatment with ayahuasca after he was in his 40s, you know, and somebody that has had chronic um, inflammatory bowel disease problems and uh, had multiple surgeries to remove sections of his bowels, uh, was on and off medication for a period of time, and then simultaneously was very depressed and even suicidal. And no one was really like doing that crossover like the gastroenterologist wasn't talking to the psychiatrist you know to try to say like oh what's really eating at this guy what's really his problem turned out to be like a lot of physical abuse and abandonment and even sexual abuse and working through that stuff you know in ceremony in the diet you know with the support of all this other traditional system you know with the traditional wisdom um once again like in a system that is based in Shipibo um, approach, you know, like they were guiding the treatment completely. And so we're just helping like with the dialogue of then talking through what's going on with their processes. This guy had a complete resolution, you know, he was yeah. showed up to the place with uh, daily frequent bouts of diarrhea and bleeding and all kinds of stuff. And uh, it was idle. And then he leaves and, his depression is largely under control and no more significant abdominal symptoms, you know, until like a year later when he's going through a divorce court problem, which is like, well, that's not so bad, you know, it's really stressful exacerbation. And I didn't really prolong. Could you explain a little bit about what that sort of, um, I don't know, I guess like translation or uh, how that, you know, the, the Shipibo um, uh, interpretation and language of dealing and seeing what's going on and then you working with them, like how that all kind of functions, like what are they seeing and what are they communicating and, and how is that um, being interpreted by you and then, and then applied to this particular case? Well, and that's the thing I think, and that's what I think is really important is when people who are really interested in that kind of stuff like this you have to go through the training you know yeah. then you're gonna see it yourself you know and it won't just be this mythological uh anthropological perspective it's like you'll actually engage like what's going on and what's what's providing the opportunity for you to even be there you know, to experience and observe all that. So I think there's like, there has to be a, an interest in that, first of all, you know. And so there has to be an interest. And that's usually like the um, the person that's interested in that kind of healing work, you know, they, they, they want to learn about that. 
And so that's why they like get closer and try to learn and try to study and go through the diets. You know, that's what they're going to tell people down there. You got to go through the diets, you mm -hmm. know, if you want to learn that kind of stuff. So I talk a lot about that in my book of like going through my training and going through the diets and starting to sing to people um, in ceremony and what kinds of Icaros, things. Icaros, yeah. Icaros. And what kinds of things am I seeing? And how is the Icaro functioning? How was I trained to to utilize Icaro to try to clear and clean the things that I'm seeing? You know, that sometimes might be just very metaphysical, very much like a dreamscape or, you know, as simple as, oh, it looks like this person has this dark demon on their shoulder, you know. But it could also be uh, more about a story that's unfolding. And so there's there's a mix of things there. And so if we try to, if people try to say, oh, they're just singing out this dark energy or whatever, well, you know, that's really not the whole story at all. So that's a very limited understanding, you know. So that's a big part of like what, uh, you know, my message, and I have the advantage of being Colombian and, and speaking Spanish and having a little more cultural like ties with mm -hmm. these guys. So to to communicate, but it's not just me because, you know, Svita and Martina and Marcus and, and many other people who have trained at Niue Rao, you know, they've gone through through that process and learned about this kind of stuff and learned how to utilize it. And that's what their message is, is that this isn't like a culturally specific thing, you know, and I think that's really important, like to get that message out because they don't say that about Western medicine. The Shipi don't say, oh, this Western medicine just showed up and you know, that's another culture and that has nothing to do with us. I don't know. Would that even work on us if I swallowed that pill? Because I don't believe in what they believe in. Would that work on me? No, they don't think that because they realize they have like the same basic physiology as the other humans that are showing up. Mm -hmm. So there's just a little problem there. Like it's just a, it's a human being. The Shipibo Shaman is a human being. And so what they know and what they, they have to teach is something that other humans can learn. You know, it's going to be a little, you're going to put your own flavor on it, but that's it. And so that's, that's really a big part of the, the impetus of the book for me is to share that, you know, to let people know that like, it's actually the key to my success in this field is because I humbly studied with indigenous shamans and wanted to learn from their tradition and their wisdom. And that has led to like all of this healing that i've observed and the success around that that they were now we're taking it further with the you know the cultures are learning from each other and ricardo for example is very interested to learn about you know western perspectives and psychological kind of perspectives on certain things that maybe they were overly focused on kind of a magical side of it but but not necessarily always in every case you know i think a lot of times they say oh that's actually this trauma that's actually this that's actually that it may look like this or that, you know, and so you sing about it that way as it's shown to you, but it may represent many other things like a dream, you know, so you engage with the mystery as it presents itself to you, but that may have m many implications that it will unfold over time and you'll understand it over time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, not a quick fix. No. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
that's the most exciting thing to me is the cross-cultural learning that's happening right now. You know, and I know that a lot of people talk about ayahuasca tourism and obviously that can, that's an issue, you know, in and of itself and lots of, so many centers, so many places, so many practitioners, underground places, people maybe that are calling themselves shamans that don't have the training, don't have the experience, didn't do the diets, you know, that those sorts of things. And, um, you know, but it is really exciting to see the, 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 the learning that's occurring between, and I think that's, that's, if we can really collaborate and kind of fuse our worldviews together or our healing modalities together, then this can really be a birth of something totally transformative. I, I, I mean, I, that's what you're working on and that's, 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 right. that's what you're seeing, right? It, it, how, how do you see this kind of pl- like happening now and then unfolding in the future? Yeah, well, it's developing like big time. And so there is a major exchange going on. And there is a lot of people very uh, involved in the dialogue and trying to learn from should people healing techniques and there should people interested, you know, there's a lot of the temple of the way of light, like they've led to a lot of should people kids going to college, mm-hmm. you know, more than ever have gone, I would say. And so there's going to be a whole group of young generation that are going to have the exposure to their parents um, knowledge and cultural experience. And they're going to be a lot more, you know, savvy about Western ways, having, you know, been educated in a Western kind of format as well. So that's something that we're just still waiting to find out, you know, what about this? What about this generation of kids that are going to be coming from these shamans, you know, from all these centers? And so that's a thing. So there's going to be a whole lot happening like on the Peruvian side, on the Colombian side, on the Brazilian side. There's going to be a whole lot happening over there. And then we are starting to, you know, the psychedelic psychotherapy world is starting to ask a little bit more. Like, hey, what about the traditional wisdom? You know, what do the ancestral traditions have to say about what we're doing? What can we learn from them? What can MDMA psychotherapy learn from ayahuasca shamanism from peyote you know ceremony from mazatec mushroom work is there and so that involves this like little leap that we were just talking about you know it's taken it out of this anthropological thing that's really rooted in um, a cultural compartmentalization Mm. that's rooted in you know kind of a dark history very dark history and so it's like okay is it time now to start talking again across these cultural lines and so they are going to hopefully inform and there's, there's a lot of action happening with that, you know, with getting more indigenous perspectives to inform psychedelic psychotherapy and, you know, how, what can we do with that and how do we work with that? And, you know, we had the, the guy, Rick Strassman with the DMT spirit molecule book, you know, he said that he, I don't know, I mean, I'm not an expert in Rick Strassman, but one thing I read about was that he, when they wrapped up their their research, they said, well, we kind of realized we should probably need to stop doing this because we're just opening up realms and spaces that we're not really sure what we're handling, what we're dealing with, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then you kind of have to draw upon experience, whatever that is. And it turns out, well, these cultures have a lot of multi-generational experience with, um, with this, you know, visionary mystical ceremony, etc. So, so that's, that's another big thing that's going on. And then, you know, for me in my world, like the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project is our project. So we have a crowdfund. We're trying to raise money on modernspirit.org. Huh? Okay. Adios. Visiting my mom's here. Um, the, 
Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project. So modernspirit.org, whoever wants to donate, go check it out. We need your help. So that is an idea that is um, the culmination of kind of like the thesis of my book. So from my experience, it's drawn completely from my uh, the combination of being a doctor and spending time with psychoneuroimmunology research to studying with Shipibo healers in the Amazon and then ayahuasca, you know, communicating to me at least my experience of that, you know, my personal tangible experience of receiving messages, whatever that means, you know, whatever, however people want to paint that, but mm-hmm. he just telling my story and this, that we decided that, Hey, we should look at epigenetics. Um, maybe we could look at epigenetics around ayahuasca healings. Cause that would be a way to show where this energy healing, or at the very least this deep emotional healing, um, could be happening and lead to these like long-term shifts. And people, when they had some big trauma that happened when they're young and then they have Crohn's disease for 40 years and then they have this big healing and then they shift into a different stability. So something happened like at the physiologic level because his his body's acting differently, you know. And what is Mm -hmm. that? And so we were trying to see about how we would look into that. And then meanwhile, then I talked to some other guys who were David Rabin and Ben Kelmendi. who are researchers and they were familiar with the psychedelic research and they were curious about about the book and ayahuasca as well and they were they were saying yeah this is you know we we see the same thing and and other people too like a lot many of us but that was a little core group that was like yeah i think looking at epigenetics around trauma healing and the psychedelics is is going to be interesting because that's going to really help bridge like we say show where this spiritual and emotional healing touches the flesh and so we were trying to, and then, you know, we together, and I mean, they had independently thought of it, I suppose. And, and then I also thought, oh, this would be a more reasonable approach is to study it in the MAPS trial. So the MDMA psychotherapy trial, where they're seeing really dramatic shifts in people, mm-hmm. this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And so they have all the data and they're all PTSD treatment resistant. And so start collecting saliva on those people. And then run that saliva for epigenetic analysis to see if we can show that some core epigenetic things shifted in people around, let's say, their cortisol receptors, you know, certain stress response systems, certain inflammatory systems that they calmed down and shifted at a, at a biochemical level and what would be presumably in a stable fashion. So this would be evidence of, of what we would call an energetic healing Mm. And would this also relate to sort of ancestral trauma as well? That's correct, because there's now Rachel Yehuda and other people, uh, as one of the researchers uh, from Mount Sinai, started kind of, there's built on other research and rodent models and things like that, but that the epigenetics and some of Rachel Yehuda's work was was um, about Holocaust survivors and their descendants, and that their descendants were showing higher um, prevalence of anxiety disorders and that that was previously thought to be just due to the parenting of these disturbed, you know, people that have been through the camps, concentration camps. Uh, but then they found evidence of like, you know, there's still some speculation, but it's very interesting that there's some epigenetic imprinting that seems to have happened that's connected to their prior trauma that's being passed on to their kids. And then there's a growing body of mammalian research to show that yeah, that's probably like one of the roles of epigenetics is to help pass on instinct 
mm. that you would want to have some accumulated experience passed right. on. So you could yeah. be adjusting to your survival e- and adaptation, survival, right? Yeah. Adaptation. So there's just the epigenetics speaks to this this versatile, adaptable software within the DNA-based life form that we were previously unaware of. I mean, it, it makes sense. It goes along with a lot of things that we see and observe. So the idea is that some of those adaptations could be maladaptive. You know, mm. that there's certain so like stresses. like reprogrammed. So you so you try to reprogram them. Yeah, that's the idea. And so. Yeah, I mean, this is this is great. And then like MAPS is running these clinical trials and, you know, Johns Hopkins has been doing research and there's so many places, the Beckley Foundation and others um, and um, Imperial College. Um, I'm probably leaving a bunch out, but but it seems to me like that there's maybe, I don't know, I guess I, I, I'm trying to think of the question I want to ask, but it's, it's, it's around the realm of like uh, kind of in a, a hospital setting or a therapeutic setting uh, versus kind of in a community with indigenous wise, uh, you know, experience and the the community, the connection, the ritual, the ceremony, like that whole aspect of it, rather than sort of the isolated uh, chemical compound and right. and that whole thing. So there's a question in there somewhere, but uh, yeah, yeah they're, what... they're informing each other. They're informing each other. You know, so the MAPS trial is using single molecule MDMA. Because they're trying to go through the FDA, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's a it's a legal situation. You know, it's because they've made the war on drugs is why they're running that FDA trial. If it was legal, they would just be doing the therapies, and they would maybe take on it would start evolving and take on organically many many different forms. You know, right now they have to, as they say themselves, you know, medicalization is a pathway to legalization. So just like with marijuana, it was showing its medicinal value is what allowed people to consider legalizing it again. And so they are trying to demonstrate the therapeutic value. And along the way, so they have to do this very, you know, structured protocol for the research to get it published, to pass the FDA standards, you know. So because of those institutional requirements. So that may be you know, creating a thing that seems limited to people. I, uh, I can say for myself as an ayahuasca, you know, ayahuasca, I had an opportunity to go through a similar format with MDMA psychotherapy and where you're, you know, indoors and laying down and wearing a mask and listening to music and talking through your issues as you're going through it. It was amazing. It was awesome. I have the highest respect for what Mm -hmm. they are doing with people. And so it's a different kind of thing. It's not. And so, you know, what do I see down the line for me? How do I imagine? I would like to see sassafras be used that way. I would like to to link it back to the plant world, which is the origin of the MDMA. Mm -hmm. And just start using that. Start using renewable um, plant-based sources for the medicine, for those kind of um, therapies slash ceremonies. So I don't know, I get, you know, people are so worried about all that, you know, but I I just don't really get it, what they're worried about, you know, it's like, they talk about ayahuasca tourism hurting the Amazon, as if they cared about the Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. my family's from Colombia, like, do I think these people care? I, I know they don't, mm. you know, I know they didn't care when they're doing all their cocaine or whatever, 
whatever hip party they're going to or festival, all the drugs they did that they could care less, you know, who got killed for those pills, you know. And now all of a sudden they think, oh, the ayahuasca tourism, that's going to destroy these people. You know, when you talk about all this culture, you know, rejuvenation that you're seeing. Meanwhile, yeah. the oil and the, the the gold is just terrorizing the region. Right, you know? yeah. And so it's like, come on, guys. You know, that's kind of boring. It's kind of boring topic to pretend like you're so worried about that. So then they're also like so into like, oh, this should be this kind of healing and not that kind of healing. And they're ruining everything because they're bringing the chemicals. And it's like, but the people who are really involved in that work are like helping people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's like, that's what it's about is like keeping it in the medicine. And the people that are keeping in the medicine, it's really like they're doing their best. They're growing. They're learning. They're trying to find ways to do it better. You know, so I think that's really important, you know, because others like we, you know, the trolling is just, it's not really up to snuff, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's nice. You can troll from the luxury of wherever you want to be, but you're just not really helping these PTSD people, you know, these people that are suffering that need help. So I, I don't know. I don't take it too serious, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just recently uh, donated to help um, a friend, Colombian um, healer, uh, who was uh, experiencing some uh, from the Tubu tribe, uh, experiencing some some problems down there, and and his family was, you know, I mean, it's, you know, government, uh, military, violence, and things like that. It's and, major. Uh, yeah, and and so it's like, you know, I yeah, I oftentimes like find find myself maybe in a little bit of a despair, just being like, man, like I know, like it's the, the individual, the personal healing that needs to occur. But then there's this, this machine that we're like up. It seems like that we're up against this kind of military, industrial, pharmaceutical, you know, indoctrination, mass media, propaganda machine. Yeah. It's, it just seems like it, it's like almost unstoppable. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, preserve, preserving, I think, you know, these, these medicine, um, you know, like you said, keeping it in the medicine, I don't know. I just, I just kind of feel like but these murders that are happening in Colombia, you know, lately that I've been hearing about and you yeah. know, horrific and terrible. Yeah. But it's like, because of this ayahuasca and the tourism is why people outside are hearing about that, you know? This has been going on for a long time. They've been killing Indians down there for a long time. And Americans have been involved and everybody's been involved. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so now, thanks to the plant medicine, you know, people are more concerned. And those people have more of a voice. And their knowledge and their wisdom uh, gives them uh, a platform to speak from that at an international conference that they might invite one of these individuals that you might meet one of these guys and talk to these guys and give them a chance to be seen, which before they didn't have that because their culture was disregarded. Hmm. So it's because uh, that they're sharing the plant medicine culture that they're getting uh, a voice. And so it's really important that I think it does help, you know, as people get all their healing and everything, the healing that they receive from this plant medicine and from these traditions, then, you know, people care and they start yeah. trying to help the Amazon. 
and they started trying to help the Amazonians. So just you donating money to these people, you and others. And so it does help, you know, and maybe it is, it seems unstoppable and, you know, all that, but it helps and things shift. You know, we, we, we're just, we have to keep trying. Um, you know, it's better for our hearts anyways. And that's the way things change. You know, there's, it's just, it takes a long time, but you know, they never, you never thought it would happen. You know, Nelson Mandela was in prison for 28 years or something like that. You know, he's out. They, he's out. And they guess they thought that was impossible or whatever they thought. So it's definitely worthwhile. And that's how real change happens is people caring and sharing. So you got to keep trying, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. It's tough out there, but they're still trying, you know, they're, they still want to, they're, they're not going to give up. They don't have a choice. People down there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that like, I think people that have these experiences in a way it's, it's pretty, I think it's a, it's a privilege, you know, to have, to, to have these experiences and, you know, to have these kinds of healing experiences. So, uh, in a way sort of that, that kind of connects you to the medicine connects you to what the, the, the traditional wisdom of the medicine and the people that you're working with. So, it's like we have to sort of do our parts to to give back a little bit, you know, as much as we possibly can. It's really important. You yeah. Know? It's really important to give back. Like you have to give back. And so it's just why wouldn't you give back? You know, if you can, it's just, it's they what they gave to you. Why wouldn't you want to give it back, you know? So, of course, you should people should do that. You know, people should remember that Everybody who's like benefited from ayahuasca here in the States should definitely remember the Amazon and they definitely remember the Amazonians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think I, I, I got a cool shirt too from the ayahuasca defense fund when I, when I donated to that. So yeah, you get a cool shirt. There you go. That's a simple, that's, there you go. Like they're, they're trying ayahuasca legal defense fund and ICers, mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of organizations. And so that just speaks to me, like, again, to all this, like, like, what's so bad about what we're doing, you know? Like, this people, they're going to get, now yo, you get, Now we found out that you get, they were massacring people that you didn't even care about, and now we're trying to help them. And that's how, that's how ayahuasca tourism is destroying the culture. So this is, a, this is some resistance, I guess, that you face. This is, these are the objections, or these are sort uh, of the... They're just, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's very thought through. Yeah. You know, because you brought it up, like we, we, the way we talk about, well, ayahuasca tourism and everyone's worried and oh no, and you know. And yeah, I, this is kind of like, like the thing that we hear out yeah, there. Yeah, I just don't think yeah. it's very well thought through. It's right. a kind of very superficial interest in the, in the region or in the topic, in my opinion. There are important things that come out of that discussion, like ayahuasca sustainability and, you know, planting right. and cultivating. And so those are real concerns. So there is real concerns, but as long as those concerns have the local people in mind and actually treat them like human beings, you know, um, then then I'm cool with it. You know, awesome. but if they, if they don't, then I'm not. I mean, that that's the basis of everything I think that we've been talking about is like, 
treating everybody like whole complete indiv- indiv- you know whole complete human beings that have a totality of experience in this world that can't be compartmentalized and broken down into particular sections but incorporates all the 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 wholeness of the the person their family you know their community and and the society at large i mean that's really what we're dealing with so you know i know you're working with the you have the modern spirit uh project that you're you're doing and we talked yeah. a little bit about the epigenetics uh you know the book and the, and the rest of the work that you're doing what's kind of what what else is like currently going on right now that you're excited about uh and, and working with well we're working on um a DEA application to ask for legal permission to do ayahuasca here. Oh, great. Yeah. It's in process. It's not still in the works, but it's not, there's not too much to say about that, but that's working on that. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing that's building. I have a little clinic. I got to go here in a few minutes. I have a little clinic sure. that I'm a part of. And so I'm going to go help out there. And yeah, then I'm going to go, I'm going to spend some more time in Colombia and, and also um, this year and well, I'm going to lead groups. So I got a talk February 15th. We try the webinar I think is too expensive. I was advised to charge $20 for a webinar, but no one's signing up. So I don't know, but it's a live event in Arizona for anyone who wants to come. Um, February 15th is going to be a talk on ideas from the book and just a sharing. And then I'm going to lead some groups this summer to Peru, to Niue Rao, and I'm going to spend some more time in Colombia and try to help there with just the bridging of academia and plant medicine there. So that's awesome. What that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for spending time with me here and, and talking yeah. about all this stuff. It's just... Uh, it's just amazing. I mean, yeah, like you said, bridging the bridging the gap, right? And like infusing this these worlds and and the, this oh, this whole healing approach is so necessary. So, yeah. And then, um, your your where can people find you? Go to their, your website, Jotifer.com uh, and modernspirit.org. You know, right now the, the most important thing that we're asking for help is with the crowdfund for the research to do the epigenetics analysis. We're doing well, but we need more money, and so we're asking for people's help. Awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes and, you know, every little bit helps. So, it does. Uh, Thank yeah, you. I'll uh, be sure to, to donate a little bit there. So thank you, Dr. Joe. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I know you got to run. Um, yeah. So yeah, take care. And thanks again. All right, Mike. Have a good one. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, Go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review if you feel like writing something. Uh, that would be great. It helps the show a lot. helps us bump us up in the uh, Apple algorithm, get the podcast exposed to more people. So if you like the show, go ahead and do that. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate, become a patron, be a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group of people chatting and connecting all around the world. We're finding the others, bringing them together, creating community. One of my favorite things to offer. I also release bonus episodes. Sometimes I do episodes that are kind of raw and kind of beta test them for the producers of the show, which are my patrons, the people who support the show. Big shout out to everybody that's a patron. Thank you for your love and support. If you want to do a one-time donation, go to my website, mikebrank.com. Go to PayPal and do a one-time donation if you feel that. 
And uh, I really like the method of donation. It's a, it's a gifting mentality. And reading Charles Eisenstein's books recently and his talks have really kind of made me embrace the spirit of the gift, of giving and gifting. And what better time than this holiday season to be generous and to give. And, you know, if you like the show, just tell, tell people about it, spread it, share it. Also, contact me. Go to my email uh, on my website, the contact page, mikebrank.com. Reach me on Instagram, mikeadelic underscore podcast. Hit me up on Facebook. Send me your messages. Send me your thoughts. Send me guest suggestions, ideas. Share your story with me. Reach out. Give me feedback. What do you like? What don't you like? And uh, I love to hear from people. I always respond. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you're interested in CBD, we have Hemp Bombs as a sponsor. You can go to hempbombs.com, get all kinds of CBD stuff. And um, I used to take their their gummies. I think I'm going to start taking them again. I ran out, so I got to get some more. But uh, they're really good. And um, yeah, check it out. If you're interested in CBD, you want to give it a try, put in the code MIKE15 at checkout and get 15% off all of your CBD wants, desires, needs, and so forth. Big shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. And uh, of course, thanks to Muse, who uh, I mash up their song and put the Terrence McKenna clips and everything in without their permission, but somehow I'm still able to do it. So thanks, because I love that. And uh, what else? I don't know. Thank you so much to everybody for your love and support, for listening. And yeah, I really, uh, really, 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 from the bottom of my heart, really can't express how grateful I am that out of all the podcasts out there that you choose this one to listen to. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, let's really make this a collaborative effort. If there's something that you hear, that you notice, you know, something going on with the show that you're like, hey, you used to do this or you do that, or I'd like to see this, or hey, did you ever think about that? Shoot me a message. I'm open. I communicate. I message back. I like this to be a collaborative effort. I want more community involved in this. So anyway, thanks. And uh, till next time, peace.